0: nice to worship my brothers and sisters in christ amen. isn't it sweet to know that god holds our future Praise god. Amen. our hope is in him amen, amen. and if He raised christ from the dead he'll fulfill all his promises that are yea and amen in christ to us i don't know about you but i'm a man that holds and grasps on to the promises of god in this world in this life of uncertainty i need to know that god certainly holds my future amen, amen. Well, brother todd thank you so much would you open up to Judges chapter 2. As I continue to speak on God's testing of our hearts. God's testing of our hearts. I think that's Deuteronomy. Would you... Judges 2 starting in 6. Take a moment. We're getting it. Judges 2, 6 to 3, 4. Are we almost there? Hey, here we are. Now I got to get there. Okay, I'm allowed. I'm the pastor. Okay. Starting in verse 6. Excuse me. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of inheritance into mouth hairs, In the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation. Can you say another generation? generation. After them who did not know the Lord. Could you say, did not know the Lord? Lord. Or his work. work. And what what he has done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baal's. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from among the gods of the people who they were around. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies. So that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raises up, raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods who bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they, did not, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity for their groaning because of all those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned their back and were more corrupt than their fathers. Going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them, they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because these people have transgressed my covenant, that I had commanded their fathers and have, and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua let when he died, in order to test Israel by them. Whenever they will not take care to walk in the ways of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations not driving them out quickly as he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Chapter 3. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. This is all in Israel who had not experienced. Can you say not not experienced? All the wars of Canaan. It was an order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines, and all the Canaanites, and the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Balharmon, as far as Libo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's always revealing who we are as Christians, Father God. Your word has a way of revealing what's going on in our life. Even when we don't, Father God. We can be tossed to and fro, we don't even realize we're bowing down to the culture. We don't realize that the culture of the surrounding area has crept into our mind, into our hearts, and we're not acting like Christians, Father God. And And you're so merciful to us, God. We just thank you so much that you love us so much that you're, you're always encouraging us and warning us and admonishing us that we can walk in the ways of your son, Father God. So I pray, Father God, that as we go through this text today and next week, God, that you will reveal to us things about ourselves we don't even know. Reveal things about the culture that surround us we don't even know. Help us, Father God, knowing that when you test our hearts, it is for our strength. It is that we know you better, that we love you more dearly and walk with you more closely, Father God. It's for our protection. It's for our well-being that you come and you test our faith and our character, Father God. We thank you that you're such a loving God, that you would test us and prove us so we can love you even more. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God's testing, I took, I've taken one second, my sinuses are just so terrible. I'm sorry I had to share that with you. It's the way it goes, alright? You gotta take the good with the bad. But we're speaking on God's testing of our hearts as Christians. But there's a subtitle here I want to speak about tonight, I'm not going to get into the testing tonight. As speaking more about cyclical sins in our life, weaknesses, uh, recurring sins, things that a Christian can find out after many years, how, how is this still going on in my life? How can this possibly be that after so many years, decades of serving God, I love the Lord, but I find this sort of trap. I'm there, I find myself falling into it again. You fill in the blanks. I know what it recurs in my life, amen? amen? I'm sure we all know the things that recur in our life. I want to look into this today. I want to look into this testing part. I'm not going to speak about the test. I want to speak about some of the the prerequisites of what goes on in in our life tonight. Uh, As we continue to speak about God's testing of our hearts, it's always to strengthen us. I I want to encourage you with that, to enjoy Him more, to walk more. Morally stable to represent God more consistently in our life So I asked, how many Christians here would want to really represent God more consistently in their life In the way you speak, in the way you act, and and through your desires and motives The way the world sees us, do we want to walk more like Christ Of course, that's the Christian's cry I hate failing God I hate, because I love him so much, I really do and and the Lord knows that he wants to work within that tension to bring something out of me that's more consistent in my life and and the same with everybody else amen Amen. that's what we're really looking at and the the text actually shows that and we'll get into that so I want to look into the problem of patterns of sin so I don't know if this applies to you because we're such a holy congregation we sing so perfectly so listen I understand it comes from the top down right all right, you missed that one okay The same failures that set us back, the same failures that slow us down, the same failures that seem to hinder any growth in Christ in my life, these setbacks, the, 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 these personal painful experiences of having to look at my life and saying, God will I ever change in this area?" I don't know about you, but it's painful for me when I got to constantly walk down these old paths it's painful. Sometimes you can feel beaten down. You can feel like you're not living up like the rest of the Christian community who got their act together. You know, we can feel sort of isolated. I'm in the congregation, I'm worshiping, but, but I'm isolated in my heart. Am I speaking to anybody? The Personal pains that go with it. I want to speak about this. And even though the New Testament perspective on this issue, the New Testament is very clear, and there's a couple of of points I need to make before we go into it. The New Testament is very clear that God tests the heart of the believer. Very clear. And the answer is always the same. Jesus. A better understanding of Christ. A greater dependence on Christ. You see, the Old Testament Israelites that we read forgot to depend on God. Just as easily as a Christian today can forget to depend on. And before you know it, we're following the same patterns in our life. And God's trying to get us to a place of testing so that we can have a greater dependence on him in every area of our life 24-7. We can do it. The New Testament perspective is Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews is our merciful merciful high priest. And now we can go to the throne of grace Whenever we need mercy or grace We can run right there in prayer No matter how dirty I might feel Because of sin in my life No matter how weak I might feel Because of persistent weaknesses and failures in my life I can go immediately And his arms are wide open No questions asked I don't need to confess to anybody But I do use confession with my brothers and sisters And I go right to Christ and I say Merciful high priest I need you right away Temptation is coming against me And I feel like I'm going to fall or it has come against me and I failed. Or there's some kind of personality flaw. It's not sinful, but it's a personality flaw. I, I want change in my personality. I don't want to be like this. It's not sin, but I want, I want to change. I want to be more like Christ. Yeah. But sometimes the, the scriptures give us clear answers to this. and We'll get into the answers. Sometimes we don't see the problem is a lot deeper. And this is what I want to speak about tonight. This is why I want to spend time the text speaks about. It. I want to get behind. Why? Is it just while well, you're willful? No, it's not. I'm not a willful guy. I love the Lord. But there's still patterns. Is everybody who has a pattern of sin or weakness in their life, are they willful? Do they hate God? Are they waking up, oh God, I'm going to rebel against you today? Of course not. You can wake up praying, and by the time you go to bed, you, you're failed. By the time you get out of the house, you failed. By the time you put your makeup on, whatever. That's why I don't wear makeup. I know you've always asked me that question. What's the deep problem here? This text really reveals a lot about why. There's suggestions, I believe it's 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 in the text we read but what's behind this all the time? Sometimes it's not just a rebellious, I don't care, I hate God attitude. It's just not. You know, so when it comes to dealing with persistent sins and stuff, you know, there's a principle that Paul teaches us in First Corinthians. I didn't pull it up, but if you remember, Paul says in First Corinthians that he was encouraging, he was admonishing the Corinthian church of 2,000 years ago, who lived in one of the most hedonistic, pagan cultures, with pagan temples anywhere, uh, with uh, sexual immorality was uh, uh, just everywhere, it abounded everywhere, meat sacrificed to idols was everywhere, they were rubbing shoulders with a pagan culture, they were saved out of a pagan culture, and Paul, to encourage them and admonish them, says that, he goes back to the Old Testament and says, God tested Israel this way, be careful that you stand lest you fall. You need to be careful with this. And he goes into the Old Testament and he shows them as examples of how God dealt with ancient Israel. So Paul's using a principle here. You can deal with a contemporary issue with an Old Testament text that was 1,500 years old. I can today deal with a principle out of a text that's 3,500 years old. So I can go into the book of Judges and we can get behind us and say, well, why is this pattern in my life? Why do I feel like I forgot the Lord? Why do I feel like one, genera- one time I feel like the generation who knew the Lord? Sunday. By Monday I feel like the generation who doesn't know the Lord? Why do I- right in those first several years of my salvation I was so tight with God? I was a part of the generation that knew the Lord. And then I just feel like, where's God in my life? Why am I lukewarm? Why? Am I speaking to anybody? Please. It's part of the human nature. That's why we got the scriptures. They're there for our insight. They give us understanding to the problem. One more time before I go into the text. I'm speaking today from a purely pastoral counseling perspective. I will give you insight on how I think When I sit down in an office or having coffee with someone who has persistent, fallen sin in their life or weakness in their life, a character flaw in their life, they want to deal with it, and they start speaking to me, and I want you to, this is how I think. So follow with me. It's diagnostic. Diagnostic. Remember that old Midas? I think it was a Midas commercial. They used to bring the car real... (laughs) (laughs) And they would say, well, what's the story? Every time I start, and they make these funny noises. Remember that commercial? Yeah. It was a great commercial. Yeah, it was. And then the guy would be looking at him like, oh, yeah, sure, I know what that noise is. When I'm sitting down with people and they're speaking to me about issues in their life, i got to listen. They're trying to describe something. But they don't know where it's coming from. It's a noise. It's repetitive. You can hear it but they don't know what it is. That's how I speak with people. They don't always go, you know, I'm struggling with this, and I got this, oh, you're just a bad, you're a bad Christian. That's what you are. Repent and beat yourself. Starve yourself. Fast. Well. Get right with God for once in your life. No, that's not the Christian way. That's not the way of grace. That changes nothing. At all. We do a great job of beating down ourselves. Don't need the pastor to do that. Four areas I want to deal with. I want to bring it up. And I'm not talking about willful sin, I'm talking about a believer that generally loves the Lord but finds these patterns in their life. Weak Christian parenting. Number one. You could be the product of weak Christian parent. You could be the product of bad pastoring, bad leadership. Three, you could be the product of bad teaching. Or it could be four, a void of leadership or mentoring or church membership in someone's life. So when I'm speaking to somebody, I want to hear where these four principles are at work in someone's life. Or is it just willfulness? I want to deal with the first one. Actually, I want to read. I want to go back to uh, Judges. I'm only going to read four verses of Scripture at this point. From 6 to 10 sorry five verses six to ten listen when joshua dismissed the people the people of israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land and the people served the lord all the days of joshua while there was leadership are you with me and all the days of the elders leadership after joshua who had seen the great work of the lord and all he's done for israel and then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him with the boundaries of his own inheritance in Temeth, here he is. And in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount of the mountain of Gash. And all the generations of and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose a new generation, another generation, after them that did not know the Lord. All the work that he had done for Israel. I know what you're asking. How does that work into this sermon? Brian? Actually, it does. Another verse of scripture in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Judges doesn't start in the book of Judges. Did you know that? The book of Judges starts in the book of Deuteronomy. That's where the promise of life and death are given. When you read Judges, you are seeing a lot of death and very little life. Because it doesn't start in Judges. It's the consequence of not listening to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So I want to read it to you. Then I'll go on to preach it. Chapter 11, verses 18 to 23. Moses says this to the, children of Israel, to the children of Israel. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. Talk of them while you are sitting in the house, and when you are walking by the way. And when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all the commandment that I commanded you to do, loving the Lord all your God, walking in his ways and holding fast to, his, fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all those nations before you and will not dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you. Christian parenting. There are times I sit down with people who have patterns of sin in their life that grew up in the Christian church and they're living in Under The faith of their parents who had this great deliverance in their life. They saw a mighty work in their life. They come out of some background and they get saved at 30. They get saved at 40 and they love the Lord. And then they have children and the children grow up in the church. But guess what? The children don't have some kind of lifestyle God saved them from. And it's the parents' job to teach them Christian Christianity. It was their job to teach them before they went into the land, when Joshua and the elders went into the land of Canaan. It was their job to teach the children. They served the Lord, but they never taught the children. They never taught them. We don't see anywhere that they were taught and they were schooled in the ways of the Lord. My child and your child can't live off of your deliverance out of addiction. You might come to Christ in a magnificent way, but your children didn't see that. They got to see something just as great or greater, and that's the word of God. They have to be taught and be shown, It has to be lived in the house. And when I'm sitting there and I'm counseling with people and I listen, and sometimes I'll hear, oh, you grew up in a Christian church. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Well, tell me, how was your Christian home? Well, we went to church all the time, but mom and dad weren't always great. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of inconsistency. Uh, go to church, go to Sunday school, but I never saw mommy open up the Bible. I never saw daddy pray. I never saw mom and dad hold hands and pray. And all of a sudden, you start to see a pattern of come to church and do what I'm telling you, but I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Diagnostic. So you listen to somebody, you listen to their heart, and they got patterns in their life. And they were supposed to be taught by parents who love the Lord, but they have their own inconsistencies. And all of a sudden they become a product. This happens to a lot of children that grow up in church. I can tell you now firsthand how many Christians grow up in church are not serving God anywhere. The testimony me and my wife have and others here that have, have taught children's ministry over and over again for years. I think of all the faces that, that were in my life at one time that are so far from God. Again, these are some suggestions. It's not always the parents' fault. It's not always the church's fault. There's a sin nature in us, and I'll speak about this in the following week and tie it all together with personal responsibility, all right? But sometimes it is, is that there's such an inconsistency in the home with the Christian message that the child comes up. as a, sort of, a sort of spiritual abuse. They're not realizing it. The damage that's being done in the heart of the child when the mother and the father or a mother or the father, one or the other, is not consistent in living the Christian message. You hurt children. You can't get away from it. Please, I make no apology for it. I can fall short of it. You can fall. You can fall short of it. It's something that we have to take so serious. Have to. If we have children... You have grandchildren. You have to bring, by God's grace and His grace alone, a consistency in the house that reflects the gospel message. It has to be. We've got to do our best we can at all times. They were faithful, this generation that came out. They were faithful to God under Joshua's leadership. They were faithful to God under the elders under Joshua. While they were there, they were faithful. They were really what they were faithful. On one hand, but on another hand, they failed to teach the ways of God, the way the Book of Deuteronomy commanded them to do. They lived it for their life, but in disregard. So, remember, this principle doesn't apply to everybody. But at times, when I'm sitting down and I'm speaking to somebody about patterns of sin in their life, I have to ask them, "Did you grow up in a Christian church?" Yes. Tell me, how was your home life? How was the walk of your parents? Was it consistent? Was it fruitful? Did it exemplify Christ? Did it exemplify humility? Did you ever hear your parents apologize to you for their lack of Christian character when they broke down? Did they ever humble themselves before you? Many Christians, many Christian children hear about God but many times they witness the weaknesses and failures of the parents. And at the end there's this big disconnect between faith in God and experience with God. There's a generation that did not know God or his great works. There's a disconnect. They're hearing it You with me? Hallelujah. Amen. Go to church. Got to go to church. You got to do this. But yet at home over many years there's a disconnect. They're hearing about church. They're hearing about Jesus but they're not seeing it exemplified in the home. There's an answer. The answer is this. Parents need to show humility to their children and ask for their children's forgiveness when they have failed. It's so important. When a parent fails the child in gospel principles, a parent has to take it upon themselves to take it and make it a teaching objective lesson on humility and what Christ can do. Very important. This empowers a child. It validates the child's feelings. They're starting to learn a good gospel principle that even the best of us can fail. But when I'm dealing with a child, or I'm dealing with someone who has cyclical sin and failures in their life, and there's not a parent to speak to no more, if they fall into this, then it's that time for that child now to take responsibility to forgive their parents. You can't play the victim card. Though you might have got here because of inconsistencies in the house. Now you have to take personal responsibility for your own actions. And you have to forgive the parent. Before you can move on. So I don't know if this this principle applies to you today. It might apply to somebody you know. It It might not. But when there's cyclical sins. When there's patterns of sin, when there's patterns of inconsistency in our Christian life, and I grew up in a Christian church, can I see that maybe I'm a product of my parents' Christianity? And if you are here today, and that is you, you have one answer to move forward, to start to move forward. You need to forgive. You have to forgive. Even if your parents are dead, you have to forgive. Second principle here, unfaithful pastoring, unfaithful pastoring. Many Christians, I find, grew up with morally weak pastors, morally weak leadership, uh, uh, inconsistent within the leadership of a church was rampant. Sin was rampant. Covering up sin is rampant. Uh, We can see this. Everywhere, from Protestant to Roman Catholic, uh, conservative to Pentecostal. It, wherever you, humanity is, sin is not far. This is not about who's got it better. It has nothing to do with it. You Could be ultra-conservative. You could be filled with the Spirit. You be, your mind can be filled with the Word of God. But it's still not safe proof. It can happen anywhere. Unfaithful pastors, leaders, leadership. Many Christians find themselves in a very inconsistent gospel ministry, and they see many failures over and over again. The message of Jesus and salvation is clear. It's there. The worship of God is there. But so many great failures and inconsistency among leadership is devastating to Christian character. It's devastating. The importance of what we do here in raising up a leader is serious, serious business. You just don't let anybody take a leadership role at all because there's a need to throw somebody in. It's devastating. Character is of the utmost importance. Christian character at home or in the pulpit or in home group is so important. And when you have been grown up in that, and you've seen inconsistency and inconsistency and cover-ups and all this, what happens is a low view of holiness comes in. And so there's a cyclical pattern of sin in people's lives because to really know something it's just a low view. This is what was modeled to me. I've heard it whether it was at home or from the pulpit. I've heard it, but I saw some a lot of stuff going on over here. It was never addressed properly and That's a low view. Whether it's John or myself or anybody else, you have to have a high view of Christ. And here's one of the the blessings of a small congregation like ours. A small local congregation. The blessing is, I live in the community. I don't drive in from Jersey to give a sermon and disconnect it from the life of the people. Our reputation as at stake. Paul says you have to have a good reputation in the church and outside the church. It is so important that leadership in the church, from pastors to associate pastors to leadership, that they have a consistency in the church and outside the church. When that is not there and you grow up as a young Christian, year after year, it's devastating to spiritual life. It's spiritual abuse. How can I tell you what to do when I'm not living it? How can I tell you when I got anger, temper tantrums, and I'm fighting with my wife all the time. I'm not paying my bills here. Uh, I'm having a fight in the gym. And all of a sudden, this information comes back. That's, that's inconsistent to the message. Are you with me? Amen. So there are times I'm speaking to people. I say, oh, what's your background? I didn't grow up in a church, but I got saved when I was 15. Okay, tell me. What kind of church it was? Were your parents, Christians, know they weren't? My grandmother bring me to church. Well, tell me, what was your introduction? How did it go? What would I teach you? I want to know, do you have a high view? I'm not telling him that or her that. I'm saying, I wanted to tell you is there a high view of Christianity or is it a low view of Christianity? Is it grace covers everything and God has no expectations on your life? Need to know. Have to address that. But you have to listen first. Many people come and... Uh, they come out of this background of inconsistent leadership. They find themselves back and forth and they don't even realize that they're carrying in their heart a low view of Jesus Christ. A low view of what he did at the cross. They're so familiar with singing songs about the cross, it affects their life no more. Nothing. They come to church, they sing, they leave, nothing happens. They hear the gospel message, nothing happens. Again, there's a great disconnect between the moral high road in theory and what Christ can do for us and has done for us and then watching it practically lived out in the lives of other people. Young Christians, either in age or in their salvation, you could be a young Christian to be 60 years old and you could be 25 years old and be saved 10 years. Sometimes they cannot distinguish between the promises and the practice yet. When I first got saved, I heard a lot about holiness. I heard about living right morally, but I wasn't responding to the message. I was responding to the people around me. I saw how people live. This is how you live. I didn't have ears to really understand who Christ was. I listened. I know he wanted me to live holy. But the greatest uh, but impetus in my life for people who are around me practice comes first imitating others come first, Paul says to Timothy imitate me as I imitate Christ before I can own the promises for myself, and this is what I mean by this a young Christian if I'm not growing up around a, a consistent leadership that's living out the gospel message, are you with me? Then what happens, it weakens this low view, this high view of God. And this is how you know if you have a high view of God. Are you ready? If you were the only Christian, would you deny yourself, pick up your cross, and die with Christ? That's the answer. Or you're doing it because everybody else is doing it. What happens if nobody else is doing it? What happens if you're the only one Who loves the Lord and you're willing to do it all for him no matter what anybody else says. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to give when there's nothing in return? Are you willing to serve the Lord when nobody else is serving the Lord? Is your holiness going to go just above the people sitting next to you in the pew? Or are you going to listen to the word and say, that's my standard. Christ is my standard. You see, a young Christian, Christ is not the standard yet. The people around him are the standard. So when I'm speaking to people that have this this pattern of sin in their life, and I'm trying to diagnose what the situation is, you know, is this a low view of God? Is this coming from a background of just hearing a lot about Jesus and singing songs and everything, but really there's no teaching on holiness of God? No real genuine fear of God so much that the thought of acting in an old ways is, is, is repulsive to us. There are certain things I cannot do. It's repulsive to me now because of who God is. And when I ever get close to touching some things that God delivered me from, I, I want to I scream. Don't want to go backwards. This is epidemic in the Christian church today. It's epidemic. When I stand before someone, I'm sitting down with somebody and I discern that this could be a problem. I say, first of all, you have to learn how to forgive your leaders. You have to learn how to forgive those who might have misled you in their practice. But not their preaching. Preaching will be right on. But their practice has devastated your life. That's why when leaders fall, it hurts churches. It hurts. It's devastating when you hear your pastor fell into sin. That's like, that's devastating. Epidemic. I asked you today, you struggling with patterns in your life? Are there things in your life? Can you say you know something? is these things in my life. What's my background? What kind of church do we come out of? Is it a church that really represents the holiness of God? Does it teach picking up the cross? Does it teach true to discipleship? Which leads to all that? Next one. Bad teaching. Or half teaching. Our third one has two sides to it, I'll be quick. There are those churches that are well meaning in their approach to God and their approach to ministry. They're high on evangelism, they're high on teaching doctrine or theory, they're high on worshiping, but they're very poor in actual hands-on discipleship. Very poor. It's almost like assumed. You come in here, we all love God, live holy. Just do the best you can. That's assumed discipleship. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is when you get so close to people, they have a right to call you up and say, how's life going? Let's sit down. I know you shared this with me a month ago. How are you doing in this area of your life? That's discipleship. Hands-on discipleship. In-depth teaching on Christ and what he has done. What Christ is doing as high priest. And the power of the Holy Spirit to live above the lust of the flesh. Are we being taught by the scripture, line by line, word by word, promise by promise, truth by truth, as we pick up our cross and follow Christ? Do we realize we can do this and only do this under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? Is it all grace-oriented, but it's divorced from the high expectations that Christ puts on his disciples? Do we grow up in that kind of leadership? Come and let's all have fun, let's all worship the Lord. But really, is there an expectation on my life? Am I a Christian that wakes up with An expectation on my life to live for Christ. Is it a choice? Is it an option? Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Christian preaching should get so into our skin, our DNA, and our mind that the first thing we do when we wake up is cry out to God, I want to live for you and you alone. It's that kind of resolve that we need to overcome sins in our life. That's one side of bad teaching. There's another side. It's called legalism. It's called legalism. There are many who have suffered under this type of Christianity. There's basically very little need for grace. For everybody's trying to be perfect, look perfect, sound perfect... Only out of fear of not looking perfect in someone else's eyes. it's legalism. You're telling me what you want me to do. You're telling me what you want me to be. There's no application of the attributes of God's mercy. The attribute of his, his patience and his long suffering with me. As I struggle in life. And I need grace in every area of my life. That I'm on a learning curve of Christ, and I need to be reminded on a daily basis that His mercies are new every morning. That no matter where I am, in a nanosecond, of any hour, of any day, of any week, of any month, I can cry out to God and He's there in a second to forgive me. Mm-hmm. That kind of grace. Yeah. Not get your act together. Stop sinning. Wear this, don't wear that. Say this, don't say that. Eat this, don't eat that. Worship this way, don't worship that way. Read your Bible exactly at 5.30 in the morning for 25 minutes, then pray for another 25 minutes, and then do jumping jacks for 25 minutes. (laughs) This is the methodology that will get you right with God. This is the methodology that will make you strong inside. That's legalism. There's no application of who God really is in our life. This teaching gets you to look on the inside for power not to the cross doesn't get you to look to the cross you see understand something this is how you know legalism you can be saved by grace but somehow or another you change yourself you see salvation is full and free by the grace of God that's it it's a gift you receive it by faith that's grace so is a changed life I'm not going to give you a methodology. You want to change? Cry out to Jesus every day. He'll change you. He'll change you. He'll forgive you and change you from the inside out. That's how it works. There's no methodology. Don't come here every day and look for me. I can't do nothing for you. Come to Jesus. He can do everything for you. That's grace teaching. With high expectation, you have the both of them together. That's true discipleship. So I ask people when they're going through this thing and I'm speaking to them as a diagnostic. And so, you know, is there bad parenting involved? Did you get a bad witness at home? Okay, that's out. Uh, what kind of church did you grow up in? Well, you know something. Oh, it was pretty moral. They were pretty good. You know, but, uh, you know, I, I, they never taught me grace. So it was always about works and all this kind of stuff. So that could be a problem. Now. And the last one is this. Void of leadership. The need... For constant moral role models is imperative to our welfare. Constant. Constant. A child needs to have constant pure role models in their life. A young Christian needs to have role models in their life. A church, in order to be successful, has to have role models at all times. When there was a void, as in this text we read tonight, there was a void. Remember Joshua was dead? Yeah. Remember the elders? Guess what? There? Right. Gone. Where's the leadership? It's all gone. There's a void, right? Yes. Who influenced them now? Um. The culture. The pagan culture was the influence. When I deliberately, and this is my fourth diagno- di- uh, diagnosis, are you going to church? Who's in your life? Who's speaking into your life? Who do you listen to? Who do you read? What are you doing? Is there a void? Well, you know, I started going to church, but this, and I don't really go. And, you know, I sort of go to this church once in a while. And when I need happy, I go to the happy church. But then that gets all fluffy, and that's not working anymore. And it's, that you know, it's still to be desired. And I'll go over there and they're yelling at me all the time. It's truth, but, uh, you know, I get tired of that one too. So it depends on what day of the week it is, Pastor. It depends on what day of the week it is. Well, what's the month? What's the flavor of the month? How am I feeling? They, their church membership depends on feeling as opposed to biblical authority. So what happens now, they, they're, they're void of any true Moral model, any true biblical authority in their life. They divorced themselves from the pastor's uh, counsel, from being admonished, from being encouraged, from being rebuked, from being corrected. And they, they're, they're void of all that. And when there's a void of leadership, when there's a void of authority, when there's a void of the word of God, then you have to do nothing but be succumbed by the culture around you. That's another diagnosis. How you doing? How's your membership? How's everything? So where does this find you today? Where are we? Are there patterns of sin in our life? Are there strongholds that seem to come back and haunt me again and again and again? One, did I grow up on the parents that love me and love God, but they failed in their character? Forgive them. Did you grow up in a leadership they love God, their intentions were right, but the leadership failed you. Forgive them. Did you grow up in a church that taught legalism, demanding, expecting, examining your life all the time? Their intentions are probably well, they just don't understand grace. Forgive them. Did you grow up in a church that's all about grace? No high expectations. They love God into evangelism, into worship, into the social gospel. They're helping the poor, but they were shy on teaching you genuine holiness, the hatred of sin. Do you have this kind of imbalance that you need to seek out good biblical teaching To have a true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John and myself have been privileged to see people come out of these backgrounds. And all of a sudden, when they get a new perspective on who Christ is, it's like being born again, again. They have an intellectual new birth. They're excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're excited. It's the only answer. The only answer is the gospel. It's the only one God has given us. I can go on and on and on. I know I preached a little long. I'm allowed to on the fast. I do love you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, that there is an answer to patterns of sin in our life. Before we get to understand how it ties up with our personal responsibility and you testing our hearts, we know, Father God, that the answer is the God. It's in the gospel. It's in Christ. It's understanding of grace, married to high expectations of Letting Christ grow in us, oh God. So I pray, Father God, for everybody here today that heard my voice and heard this message. I pray if any man, any woman, any child is struggling constantly with the same afflictions of failures and sins in their life. God, I just pray that you give them a fresh perspective on the love of God. A fresh perspective on the high expectations of Christ. A fresh perspective on the power of being forgiven by grace, Father God. I ask you to touch their hearts and touch their minds in Jesus Christ.